You're listening to Her Stories, hosted by Sevi Petrus. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Senior Housing Her Stories, a podcast dedicated to telling the origin stories of women who found their careers in senior housing. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by our guest, Jessica Johnson. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And this is a, a, a fun um, guest to have on because you are actually a referral of one of our previous guests. Correct. Yes. Uh, Lindsay, I believe, who you've spoken with in the past, introduced us. And Lindsay and I have worked together for a long time uh, in the senior housing and the banking space. So uh, she's a great person and a, a great colleague. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm super, super excited because you are literally the first guest that was a referral from a past guest. So this is a very special, special introduction for me. So thanks for being on, Jessica. Hopefully it's not a situation where you never want to do it again. We'll see. Oh my gosh. No, I can tell already this is a, this was a great introduction. So thank you, Lindsay, for, for making that. So Jessica, tell our um, listeners where, you're, where you've arrived. What are you doing today? What, what, is, your, what is your career currently in, in senior housing? Sure. So I am uh, involved in the senior housing industry from the banking aspect. So I work for a middle, kind of middle of the road regional bank. um, And I lead a team of bankers that cover the entire country for the senior housing and care space. And so we provide debt products, we provide um, treasury and cash management products. But um, I largely oversee the sales side of our organization. We have another group that also manages the credit piece of that portfolio. And so we're driving, me and my team are finding ways to drive incremental revenue for the bank within the senior housing mm. space. Okay, interesting. So, so Jessica, so how long have you been in banking? Was this where your career started? You know, what did, what, what did you start doing? Yeah, so I've been, in June, it'll be 17 years uh, with the same bank. But I, so I joined uh, BOK Financial right out of college in 2006, mm-hmm. went through the bank's management training program, and which uh, allowed me the opportunity to rotate through several different groups in the bank. So commercial real estate, CNI, energy lending. Um, and after that year-long program, I had the opportunity to land with a group and working for a lady who had been my mentor really throughout that whole rotational program. And um, it, was on, it was on the corporate side, corporate banking side of the bank. But uh, this particular uh, individual had, in her time, developed this little niche in skilled nursing and senior housing. And so she had a small portfolio of it. Uh, my intent was not to get in the healthcare space originally, but uh, through helping her manage her portfolio and meeting her clients, I was able to be exposed to it. And just really found a passion for it. Uh, I find that the people that are in this business, you know, it's a hard business and not everyone Mm -hmm. can do it. And it's not just about running a successful business or making money. It's about caring for people that can't do it for themselves, for our most frail population in some instances. And so the types of people that want to be involved in that space, I find are very dedicated to quality and to mm-hmm. the outcomes that you know they're getting from their patients and taking good quality care of those people. And so it made me passionate about the space and wanting to find ways to support them from the financial side of things. And um, uh, so I kind of followed that, that path, uh, really doubled down and got to know the space. And then in 2014, had the opportunity to focus on healthcare full-time. And at that point oh, wow. I started 
calling in the Pacific Northwest, getting to know some of the folks out there that provide those services, and then over time have just have grown my team, and and now you know we're going coast to coast, and so it it all kind of started uh, working for a lady that invested uh, her time in me and took an interest in my career and opened me up to a space that I probably would have never come to on my own. Oh, I love that. Um, it, it's it's not very often. I my background was also in banking, and so I more had. There were a lot fewer women, um, you know, in our space. So most of the, the people that I learned from were primarily men because that was, you know, what was there. So I, I love the fact that you were able to have a, a female mentor who really led you into the space. So you said you've been at the bank for 17 years. So in banking for 17. So specifically focused on senior housing or, or healthcare since 2014. Correct. Yeah, I would say that I've been working, you know, around the space for the last 15 years, but fully dedicated to it since 2014. Since 2014. Mm -hmm. And you said today you're doing specifically like it's supportive sales. So are you doing like actual loans for the buildings or are you doing like treasury management? Like what specifically are you focused on providing so, that kind of supportive services? Yeah. So the team that I manage, they're primarily uh, involved on the lending side of things. So analyzing credit, providing acquisition financing for owner operators or working capital lines of credit or, um, you know, just trying to find ways to creatively get deals done, uh, especially in a world today where it's hard to make deals work in some in many instances. And so um, so my side is primarily the debt side, but I also partner with our treasury management folks to provide those services to the same individuals. And we have a treasury management team that solely focuses on this space as well. So They've become industry experts in, in, you know, how to structure a treasury management uh, setup that works well for the space. So, you know, I think that is a really interesting topic. And you just mentioned, you said, you know, that things have become more challenging, like deals become more challenging. I think when Lindsay and I spoke, it was like kind of the beginning of some of these changes happening. And it was mm -hmm. like, oh, no, we're full time. We're lending. We're doing this. And I feel like the beginning of this, the first quarter and going into this with all of the, you know, we've had a couple major banks have some pretty serious issues. How has that impacted or currently impacting like what you guys are looking at from a banking perspective, specifically into our, you know, our, I mean, because anything that's going on in the banking world is going to impact our, all the other sectors. So Jessica, like, what are you seeing in terms of, you know, ability to get deals done? Are they, is it that they're not penciling out because of interest rates? Is there skittishness within the bank, you know, to, to, to lend this year or, you know, what, what's the general temperature, I guess, that you could share? Well, I think, you know, if we're talking about the bank, banking industry overall, I think what you're seeing is more banks pulling away from the space, either because, um, you know, cash flow isn't there, deals don't pencil out, it's harder to make them work, especially where interest rates are today. Um, but also because they're worried, you know, there's a lot of noise around the banking industry. And so there's, I think, an increased sense of pressure to preserve capital. And so, you know, maybe they're just not deploying as much capital out in the new loans. Uh, and so if they're looking to back away from certain spaces, senior housing and care seems to be one of those areas. Um, for us in particular, for BOK, you know, the good and the bad is that we're a fairly conservative bank. And so what I mean by that is, it can be frustrating in good times when all the deals work and we're not out there doing the most flexible structures. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we always, you know, have a, a fair way that we stay within. But I think that it really pays off in uh, times like today 
where uh, deals are harder to get done, but we're still doing the same things that we always were. And so maybe there's less competition out there. Maybe the structures mm. and the pricing are coming back to a place that make more sense for our portfolio. Um, and what I love is that we don't, we're not an institution that goes hard when times are good and then turns the spigot off when times are tough. We're very consistent. Mm -hmm. We're consistently in the market. And so I don't have to go to my clients and say, we're not doing anything right now. Um, I might say we have to be more thoughtful about how we make these work and the structure needs to be more conservative, but we can still get there for folks that need to get transactions done, which has been uh, refreshing over the last six months. Oh, yeah. It's been tough. I mean, and, and I'm sure you're reading Senior Housing News and all of the other stuff that, you know, we've got some pretty major portfolios that are in some serious crosswinds right now. And, you know, I think that our industry has always been considered recession proof and even through COVID, like bouncing back from a resilience perspective. But, you know, that is definitely, you know, our industry is going to see some major hits, it sounds like probably in the next, this, if not this quarter, next quarter. And that's probably, like you said, you know, looking at like capital wanting to pull back as a result is going to likely impact everybody. Sure. And I think overall, I think the industry will continue, right? I mean, this is a need, needs-based industry. No, oh, yeah. no people go into uh, a senior housing facility or a skilled nursing facility because they want to. They do it because yep. they need that level of care. And so I don't, I don't see it going away. What I do see is a lot of transition and ownership happening um, because mm -hmm. you do actually have some parties sitting on the sidelines that have a lot of liquidity. They have capital to deploy and they're waiting for valuations to normalize to a point where they think their investment makes sense. And so I think mm -hmm. we'll still see those transactions happen. Uh, but the days of being able to put a lot of leverage on assets because interest rates are three and 4% are gone probably mm -hmm. permanently. And so it's just going to require people to bring more equity to the table to make the deals work, um, especially in instances where you have portfolios with a major turnaround component and you're just gonna have to come in, put a lot of cash in upfront and then have a lot of cash on reserve and be prepared to, to weather um, you know, a length of time where it might take you to ramp up and get the operations back to where they need to be. Oh, 100%. You know, and it's funny too, you know, when I was a banker, I, and then moved over into the operations side, I knew nothing about operations as a banker. Like, you know, it really was, it's really hard to understand those pieces of it and how much it's really changed, you know, just from not just the labor perspective, but the demands and the requirements regulatory wise, like adding on now, you know, all the extra pieces from a pandemic and then all the additional expenses that have kind of come on. So layered with the interest rate environment, I mean, it really is a lot of pressure on, on an operator and for capital to understand that and just say, hey, we're just going to have to take a more conservative seat makes, makes a lot of sense, but certainly makes it more difficult for, for getting new deals done, which we all know we need new deals done, like whether it's time for people to move on because capital says, hey, this is my threshold of time period for an investment or, you know, doing any type of development. We just we don't have enough, you know, from a demand perspective and a need basis. We just don't even have enough product to to service the needs coming up. Right. And you're you're touching on another topic, which is also a challenge right now, which is the new development side of this whole equation. And, you know, we're, we've all for years now talked about the 
uh, silver tsunami or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, these baby boomers that are getting to a place where there's a large population of people that are going to need that level of care. And so having the appropriate space for them is going to be really important. Uh, And we're in an environment right now where on top of everything else, um, because interest rates have changed so drastically, nobody's balance sheet is freeing up. And so everyone is sitting on all of this commercial real estate, you know, construction financing, these assets that, that aren't paying off. And so nobody can reload. And so, I mean, that's where we're sitting today is we're at our commercial real estate cap. And so we just have to say we're out of the market on new development financing until something changes, right? Until the market yep. gets more fluid and things start moving. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. I think it's going to be interesting the next six to six to 10 months. I think just seeing like what happens in the economy, you know, have we stabilized, you know, have we, has, has our, um, are they, are, are they done raising interest rates? You know, have we been able to curb inflation enough? And I think, you know, everybody, and I'm sure you guys are seeing it in your portfolio, just demand and occupancy continues to rise. It's really just a matter of whether we're able to, to keep some of those expenses at bay, at least through the rest of this year. So. And can you even get the staff? To fill a and building right staff. now, right? Yep. I think that's getting better as the uh, labor market starts tightening up a little bit, um, and you know, people don't have as many options. You know, it brings people back mm-hmm. into the workforce. Their four hundred one ks aren't as strong. Maybe they can't re- retire quite when they thought they were going to. But hopefully, that helps. But I still think it's a challenge in general. Oh, I agree. I totally agree. So, so going back, Jessica, to you know, to to you and how you kind of got into this. So you mentioned that you had gotten into the program at B B O K right as you got out of college. What did you go to school for? Like, did you want to go into banking? Was I know I did not know I was going to go into banking. I kind of fell into it. Yeah, you know it's so funny. I talked to a lot of college uh, graduates and they or people in college, and they're desperately panicked, you know, not knowing what they want to do. And the truth is, I don't. I don't know how many of us actually end up doing what we started out to do when we went to school. Mm-hmm. I know I didn't. And so I was actually an agricultural economics major what? <laughs> at Oklahoma State and grew up in a with a farm background, you know, uh, you know, raised a lot of animals growing up. And my goal was to I wanted to work on a trading desk hedging grain prices for a feed producer. Uh, and so that was the path I was going down, but I had a professor, my, uh, beginning of my senior year introduced me to the recruiter at the bank and just said, you should go talk to them because they're a good organization and, and just fell in love with the people. I think for me, I'm, I'm maybe a little counterintuitive, my attitude compared to most of people my age in the workforce that, you know, they talk about how many times people change jobs over the course of their career. And I'm very much, a, I like to get settled somewhere and just, and just be there, right? Um, mm-hmm. I'm not a person that likes to hop around a lot. And so it was important to me to join an organization where I felt I had a lot of upward mobility without having to leave and change my job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. what I felt there. And so, and I felt like people were going to take an interest in me and my career. Uh, and that's proven out to be the case. I think, um, you know, it's, it's women, men, no matter who you are, it's important to find somebody that's going to be a champion for you. That's going to take an interest in you and help bring you the opportunities that are going to allow you to grow and, and move. 
And, you know, and I think, you know, I were talking before we started the, you know, the podcast, but you mentioned, you know, my children just went through hand, foot and mouth and you said, oh, yep, I remember those days. So you also, I mean, it, it allowed for you the freedom and flexibility to, you know, ha start your career from college and then obviously also start a family. So what was it about the organization that, you know, gave you that flexibility? Because I know a lot of women, especially like for me, I mean, I'm, I'm older than you. So like, it, I think I would have found because of the pace of the investment banks and the banks that I was at, I feel like it would have been, I delayed starting my family because I didn't see the flexibility to kind of do that um, at the time. And I didn't start my family until way, way, way later. And I had already started my business and not that there's ever a good time to kind of start a family, but what was it about? Like, you know, were you able to take maternity leave and you know, what, what did that look like from being a part of that organization? Yeah. I mean, I would say that, well, for one thing, I, I was with the bank for 10 years working before I started my family. And so, um, for me, I think I had built up a lot of institutional equity with my employer. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I, I worked really hard. I worked a lot of hours. I always did everything that they asked me to do. And so I think by the time that I was ready to have those conversations about taking a step back for a second and focusing on a family, it was an easier conversation because they knew that I was going to come back. They knew that I had yep. the work ethic to do that. And I was a known commodity at that point. And so I think that mm -hmm. helps give me a lot more flexibility than maybe what others would um, experience. But, you know, it was it was they kind of gave me the flexibility that I needed. I was able to take 12 weeks of paid maternity leave and spend time mm -hmm. with my son. That being said, I'm still a deal junkie. And so I might've been, you know, working some things during that time, but from home in between naps. Uh, but, it, you know, they've, and even today, I feel like if I need to be gone for a school event in the middle of the day, nobody questions it. I don't, I don't mm -hmm. ask to be gone. They don't bring it up because they know that I'm going to get my work done. That I'll, yep. um, and I think that's the big thing, right? I think and that's not for every organization, but for a lot of them, if we can just build up that relationship with our employer and they trust us to, to do the right thing all the time, it's a lot easier for them to let us have that flexibility. Um, I'll say I also have an amazing husband that uh, has, has put his career on the sidelines for mine in several instances and is the constant person at home that uh, probably is more the primary parent than me. And that's also allowed me to focus more on my work and. Um, you know, it's, it's never, there's never enough time to do all of the things the way that you want to. Oh, no. uh, you have to lean in different places, depending on where you're at in your life. But I've been fortunate that I've worked for a company that has allowed me to take that space when I needed to step back and focus on more personal things. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I think one of the important things too, as, as women leaders that we're making it, a, it's, it's normal to say, Hey, you got to leave to go do your kid thing. Like it's totally fine, but the, everybody understands this is when this is due or this is what this has to be done. And I think that that's a bit of a difference that we are able to show. And maybe the woman that you had mentioned earlier too, who was your mentor and kind of, you know, maybe that normalized it for you as well. Because previously, if you only had, you know, the male, you know, males who were in those positions and they never missed anything and they weren't leaving and they didn't have to worry about that and they weren't picking it up. I do think that this, like the more, the over the last 10 years, it's been, like you mentioned, your husband is take, has taken a backseat in some instances and sometimes the primary caregiver. 
that is just flip-flopped, I think, a lot. And so I think that it's really good for, for women coming up in their careers now to see like this is normal versus it being like the, the, the non-normal. I hear more and more women who their husbands are taking the backseat to their careers so that they can continue you know, on theirs and take what time they need to, right, during, during those, those early, early months but really being able to do that. I mean, are you seeing that more like at your bank with other younger women who are coming in? Like, is that something that you're seeing as I, I feel like I am, but I'm just, I'm out of the corporate world these days. So I don't, I don't know what it looks like now. Sure. No, I am definitely, I mean, I've seen a major shift. I think even just the last couple of years going through the pandemic and everything that we've gone through, it's forced everybody to think differently about mm -hmm. how to work and live. Um, oh yeah. Not that, and you know, most of us want to work less. I mean, I'm sure there are some people that that's their new perspective, but I think you just start to think about it all more in a, in a more fluid way, right? Like mm -hmm. I don't have to be sitting at my desk from eight to five every day. I might get up early and crank out emails for an hour before my kid gets out of bed so that I can leave at three 30 and pick them up and then be back on my computer at eight. If I need to, like, I feel like everybody's more open to the idea that look, we're all adults. Uh, we're working mm -hmm. for a common goal. We, if we trust one another, then we should trust each other to get our work done in mm -hmm. the way that best suits us. Like we're, it's going to get done, but it shouldn't be micromanaged to a point of saying this is when it should be done or exactly how you should be doing it. The point should be that mm -hmm. it gets done successfully and that we can so are you, together. So are you guys fully back in the office now? We are. Yeah, we went back fairly early on. I mean, we've been back probably two years now. Um, and we've migrated to give some people the ability to have a hybrid schedule where they work from home a few days. Um, mm -hmm. But for the sales folks, it's kind of, you're always all over the place anyway. So it doesn't really apply. You just, I'm not, I've had an interesting experience now being a manager and managing people and realizing how differently people work. Um, mm -hmm. But I also don't like micromanaging. And if it's someone yeah. that I would have to do that with, i I mean, we're just not going to be a good fit. So I, I right. want people that I don't have to look over their shoulder all the time, but I know that things will always get done. So one of the things I'm curious about, like as a, as a female leader, particularly in banking, what are some of the things other than I think you're modeling good behavior, like showing that, hey, I, if I got to leave to go take care of my kid or something came up and I got to do this, like other than modeling good behavior, how do you feel like you are currently, you know, being a good mentor for the women that are coming up in your organization? Um, I'm trying to create an environment where we have a very open line of communication. I think that hmm. for so many years, it's been frowned upon for women to have a life outside of work, right? Like we have to pretend like we we just don't talk about that because I'll be viewed as unprofessional if I talk about my kid or uh, mm -hmm. what's going on at home. And I'm trying to change that dynamic. What I want to do is open up and have to, let's all just talk about our real lives. Like we all do this stuff behind the scene. Mm -hmm. Let's be real and honest about the challenges that we're having at work and at home and how we can work together. And I can be more supportive of them in tougher moments. And then also constantly talking to them about what do you want for your career? What does a development plan look like for you? I can give you ideas of where I think your talents lie and what you could achieve. But at the end of the day, your development plan, it's an individual responsibility. And so I think it's easy for women, especially 
to focus on the task at hand because we're, mm-hmm. we're doers, right? Like we want to do a good job. We want to work hard and it's easy to forget about, oh, but I need to invest in myself. I need to be thinking about where I want to be three, five, seven years from now. Do I aspire to be a CEO or do I want to maintain an, you know, a better, a different work-life balance and I'm good where I'm at? Like that's an okay answer too. Absolutely. Um, but just thinking more about our own individual development and trying to encourage that with the women that work on my team has been important. You know, I think that's a really great point there too, Jessica, is that there is nothing wrong with being happy with where you are. And, you know, not, and that's one of the purposes of this podcast and, and why, you know, I, I, I try very, very hard to make sure that the guests that are, that are on here are at different places in their career. And that's all the way to the sea level, all the way, you know, we interviewed a, um, a, a, a med tech, somebody who is actually just ran up from it, from a med tech to a med tech, um, director, like a leader of the med techs. And it's so important for people to understand and normalize, particularly for women, like one, it's great if you want to, if you want to be the CEO, right. And that, Mm -hmm. and then, Hey, let's, let's help base out a plan that's going to help get you there. But it's also good to say, hey, I want to stay in this and, and incrementally move up, but I really like my position because of the flexibility that it gives me for my family or, you know, because of, you know, maybe I have to take care of my mom as well. You know, like there are all these different factors that I think that women in particular take on. And and I don't know that we're so I, I think that it's really interesting that you're trying to find that out to help them say hey, where are you or what do you want to do and what can I do to help get you there? Because I think we're either, we're always trying to like keep up with what everybody needs of us and not spending that time, like you said, like feeling guilty to talk about what is going actually going on outside of the workplace. Because I don't know that it's just like a thing men don't do or it's something like they're not comfortable with discussing, you know, and, and changing that dynamic is I think really important for our future generations. And I think it can be easy to get caught up in the, oh, I'm a woman working in the world. I need, you know, I'm carrying the, the, that flag. I need to be a good representation of what women can do. And it can, it can be to an extreme. It can be that we're working towards something that maybe we personally don't want for ourselves, but we're doing it because we feel like we have pressure to be an example for others. Mm -hmm. And I think it needs to be okay to take a step back and say, you know, I don't need that. I don't have to always be looking for the next thing. I could be okay where I'm at now. And at the end of the day, like, just find, like, what makes you happy, right? Like, Mm -hmm. where are you, what role are you going to be in that's going to make you feel fulfilled and happy and like you have the best possible balance, whatever you want that balance mix to look like. It's different for everyone. Um, But I And I think it changes at different times in our lives too, right? Totally, absolutely. Like, you might say, my kids are young. I, I don't want to travel. So I'm going to stay in this job. But when they go off to school, yeah, I want to, I want to do that again. I want to get back on the road. I want to be in sales. Like, that's great. Let's, let's just have a realistic conversation about where you're at. Don't be afraid to be honest with me about what you need and what you want right now. It doesn't mean you don't, I'm going to discount you or take you off the list for promotions later. It's just us being honest with well, and I think that's why a lot of people leave, you know, like, I think that, you know, you're, you are an anomaly, like that you have been at the same company for 17 years, but clearly they're doing something right from a communication perspective, because you could have easily done that, right. And said, Hey, I want to start my family. And I just don't see how, 
you know, I'm going to be able to do that and then still have career opportunity when I'm ready to kind of go back up. But that's all about having that conversation, right? With what's important at what time. Right. And not being, and being, not being afraid that you're going to be judged as a result mm. of the things that you're sharing and how you're feeling about your career. I think any, mm-hmm. anything needs to be okay. And we all just need to feel more comfortable talking. Anything needs to be okay. I think that is a really, really good way to say that. And it is, and it does go back to communication, but it also goes back to having an example of somebody who's done it and been successful. And so I think having somebody like you there to point to is, has got to be very encouraging for other, for younger women coming up and for women that you've been, you know, working with and mentoring. So I think that's like, I think that's really great. Not, not many organizations can say that. (laughs) Well, I hope it is. And I hope that if nothing else, it, it gives them a safe space to, you know, when I leave at three o'clock to go do something with my kid, that they feel like they now have the autonomy to do that too when they need to. Um, but they also see me, you know, working hard and uh, doing what I need to do to get things done. And so it's, we all just need to find that, uh, that rhythm uh, that keeps mm-hmm. us happy and satisfied and not burnt out. Oh, the burnt out, the burnout, the guilt, all those things are so real. So real. So Okay, so Jessica, so if we're looking, you you went into school to go trade um, on a desk for in agriculture, correct? In yes. Some, in grains, in grains. Okay, yep. but you're okay. Livestock grains. This was your Oklahoma background, and <laughs> yes. was introduced to um, a financial institution that you ended up going through their um, their. I'm assuming like an internship program. And then working in different aspects of the bank and eventually finding, uh, being mentored by a, a female within the organization and finding your way specifically into senior housing. And you've been in senior housing, you know, on a sales lending side, supportive services for since 2014, correct? Correct. Good summary. Started, good summary. Okay. Started a family, um, was able to continue to um, excel and move up in your career becoming a leader in your in your role, mentoring and fostering other careers, women and men throughout your organization. And, um, you know, really, I think adapting to uh, the balance that, you know, being a mom and a, and a, and a, and a banker um, requires. So when you're looking back at those, those, what would you say is your superpower? Hmm. Uh, I would say my superpower is perseverance, maybe, uh, if that's an appropriate answer. I think, you know, it's easy to, to tell for women to tell their stories and they're at a good place and for everyone to assume that it's been good all along. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's it's rarely the case. And I can think back so many instances where things were hard and I didn't know if I could do it or it was uncomfortable because I was asked to do something new or I'm, you know crying because I'm feeling like I'm failing at everything, like nothing's going right. I've been mm-hmm. in all of those spots. And I think my ability to kind of, you know, persevere through those moments and say, I'm not going to let this define me. It will pass. There will be a point where things feel easier again. And to just kind of truck through those hard moments, I think is what I guess you could call my superpower, but I think has helped me kind of stay the course, stay in the game and um, you know, move past those hard things and learn from them and take, take mm-hmm. them away from those moments too. Oh, I, I gotta tell you, it, 
you got to have those pity party for once every now and then. Like <laughs> having it, there's nothing better than a good cry. Yeah, everyone's to then say, get it out. You do. And, and you know what? And I think that's another thing we have to normalize, you know, talking about having those conversations, you know, about those, those hard things that are happening at home, you know, because they do impact us at work. And I, I think perseverance is, is a great superpower. And, you know, to persevere through from, from college to working through your career and a family and, you know, all of the ins and outs that have happened in the last 17 years in our industry and in banking in particular. I give you lots of credit, Jessica. Like that is pretty impressive. We're all doing it. We're all you and me and, you know, lots of women out there that are all doing the same thing. And it's nice to be able to share our stories now and again. It certainly is. Well, I thank you so much for for being a guest. And thank you again to Lindsay for introducing us. Um, I I am so grateful to have you be a part of um, senior housing and how you're supporting not just our seniors at the communities, but but the women that are coming up in the banking world. I think they're very lucky to have you as a leader and, and, and as a role model and a mentor. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me and for the kind words. And it's been lovely to get to know you a little bit. You too. You too. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us again on another episode of Senior Housing, Her Stories. Thank you for listening to Her Stories with Sevi Petrus. Subscribe now to receive a notification when we release our next episode. Also, be sure to leave us a review so we know how to serve our listeners better. And tune in next week for the latest episode of Her Stories Senior Housing.